not easy. So like your work doesn't stop there, right? Like we have a responsibility to continue to grow ourselves as well from that dimension. So kind of understanding like this may be my 10th client today that I'm seeing, but I'm also the first veterinarian that they're seeing today. Hi, I'm Shoria. And I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Vetted. As two non-traditional vet school students, Caitlin and I are excited to share our story and journey throughout veterinary medicine. In this podcast, we're excited to explore different topics in vet med and the realities of pursuing a veterinary career with a focus on building a supportive community and exploring innovative solutions from perspectives that have formed from experiences outside of vet med. This is Vetted. We're really excited to interview our first guest speaker today. Uzma Manzor is a rising third year at Michigan State College of Veterinary Medicine. VetMed is her second career and she graduated from undergrad in psychology in 2010, then got her master's in behavioral analysis in 2013. She worked in pediatric therapy for six to seven years, then decided to apply to vet school in the 2019 cycle and got in on her first try. She's originally from Texas, but her husband and two daughters moved to Michigan with her when she started vet school. In this episode, she'll be sharing her insights on the VimCast process as a non-traditional student from a diverse background. Throughout this episode, Uzma shares incredible insights and knowledge, and we really hope you enjoy and learn as much as we did. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so, like I said, I'm so honored and uh, feel great to be here. So you t- you said that you're in Texas right now, right? Yes, I am. Um, Where in Texas? I am, I am in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I'm from um, Dallas. We're in Dallas. Give I me am... the cross streets. And, okay, don't, don't give me the cross streets. I'm near Plano. So oh, okay. like East Plano, like I'm way east of Dallas. Um, but this is kind of, you know, and I was telling Shoria earlier, like I've moved around basically all my life, even though I was born in Dallas. So I guess technically this could be considered hometown. Um, but you know, this is, this is where I had been before I moved to Michigan state for the past, like six to seven years, um, before we moved out there. Uh, when I say we, I am married and I have two beautiful daughters. Um, my older one is turning nine this year and my younger one is turning six next week. So they've okay. been on this journey with me for a minute now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we moved out to Michigan. I started uh, fall of 2020. Um, but yeah, but I, this is kind of like where I'm from. I have a lot of family out here. So we're out here right now. I'm doing an externship uh, with BCA uh, starting next week for the next couple of weeks. And nice. then um, my brother is getting married. So nice. obviously, and Shoria is familiar with the South Asian weddings and yes. how extensive they can be. So <laughs> it's only fitting that I'm here for like the next five weeks to take part in everything. Yeah, that's perfect timing. I think the wedding will be just about over at the end of those five weeks. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Awesome. Well, um, we'd love to learn a little bit more about you and, um, your life prior to vet school. Um, well, I, um, I guess, you know, when talking about my journey for vet school for a lot of people, it comes from this, you know, I wanted to be a vet ever since I was a little kid, you know, like you hear a lot of that. And I think for me, my journey is a little bit different because I think my race and culture plays a big part in that. Um, you know, growing up and I, and I think we hear a lot of people from different races and cultures, like they'll say like, Hey, I never 
knew anyone who looked like me growing up who was a veterinarian. Yep, sorry, it's a whole, like raising your yes, hand. Yes. Sorry, right? <laughs> um, and so I do know that I've always had, you know, so like originally my family's from Pakistan. And even though I didn't really grow up in Pakistan, but we would, you know, go out there and like, even like when I was a little girl, cause you know, it's in Pakistan, it's different. Like, you know, you see a lot of stray animals, street yep. animals and, you know, and so like, if you're a kid who's like going out playing on the street or whatever, like you come across a lot of like dogs and cats and, mm-hmm. you know, cattle and goats and it's, it's all sorts of things out there you can see. Um, and so I always remember being like really, really intrigued by those animals and just, I guess, you know, empathy has always been like in such a core of mine, um, you know, and so I guess you could say like in the cliche and traditional sense, I really loved animals all my life. Um, so I think, you know, the idea of veterinarian, like I remember I was probably like in high school or something, like one time I was traveling and I can't even remember like from which country to which, um, but I ran across someone who was also this lady who was Pakistani and she said her son-in-law is a veterinarian. And I remember like that being like a first experience, like, oh my God, like, wow, there's like Brown someone, people you can know, do like, that? Wow. Exactly. Like, so <laughs> honestly, like that was, this was like when, like I said, like middle school or high school, I think. And my first time, like really even grasping that as like a profession, right. because really you just don't even think of that as an existence. Yeah. Now, medicine is a different story. Um, you know, like a lot of South Asian families, you know, I have my mother is a doctor and, you know, and she didn't practice, you know, and but like I have a lot of practicing doctors in the family, too. And so medicine is like the love of this family, you know, so I come from a very, very educated family. So I think that was. I think a privilege in a sense that science and medicine was always so pushed into our minds. Um, And so obviously, you know, human medicine was something that was really pushed on us, but I just, you know, like in my undergrad years and stuff, like I just didn't connect too much to it. So I kind of diverged into this path of like um, an undergrad where I started looking into psychology. So I majored, I have my bachelor's of science in psychology and I graduated with a bachelor's in 2010 from University of Alaska Anchorage. Now oh, that's wow. a whole nother story why I was in Alaska. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so I started working in an animal lab over there with my psych major and, you know, and I did, I was doing some pre-med classes on the side, but I'm not going to lie. My grades were not that great. And it just, you know, my heart wasn't in it. And, you know, and I think, you know, when we talk about medicine, people will say like, I think the prerequisite classes are so different than what actually happens in medical schools that, you know, you don't really know, okay, are you connecting with this? Are you interested in this or not? So like, I liked the challenge, but I think I was more intrigued by the psychology side. And Mm -hmm. when I say psychology, I was always very much into the research side of psychology. Like I wasn't very much into the clinical. Um, And so I started doing animal behavior research in the uh, rat lab over there. And, you know, we were doing all sorts of fun, like positive reinforcement, like food-based motivation, observation learning. Um, So I did my undergrad thesis, which I know like usually people don't do that, but I picked up a research project and I did that for two years, the dwarf hamsters, like looking at observational learning and dwarf hamsters. And, um, and I also started working in that lab. So like I was taking care of the rats, the hamsters, you know, so, and by this time, you know, I, uh, my husband and I, like, you know, we knew of each other and, you know, we were together. And at that point, um, you know, it was coming time that once I graduate from college, I was going to get married. So basically I was moving out of state at that point. And so I had to kind of pick, okay, do I 
chase the vet school option that I have thought about, or do I just go to grad school and do something else, you know? And as you ladies know, with vet school, you know, when you think of that, you can't just get up and move anywhere. You have to go where vet school takes you. And so I think because I was getting married, I was only 20, 21 at this point, but I was getting married and I was like, you know, I'm just going to go do behavior stuff because I've spent so much time in it. I love it. So I ended up getting into a master's program in Chicago where my husband was um, doing applied behavior analysis. So I started working in that field and I loved it. Um, I did pediatric therapy. I worked with um, the autism population, you know, individuals with different needs. I worked with um, TBI, the traumatic brain injury population for a while. So I did a lot of cool work in that. Um, But I, I knew in the back of my head that working with animals like was something that always like kept pulling at my heartstrings and I wanted to come back to it, you know? Um, And so I think that's like almost like the adult version of like, oh, I always knew I wanted to be a vet. Like, I think it's my like adult version of the story, which I talked a lot about that in my essays, my application essays as Mm -hmm. well, because it was very different than, oh yeah, like, you know, I grew up on a farm or I always had a dog, you know, I didn't really grow up too much with pets, you know, like I think we ended up getting cats when I was like in high school or something, you know, so it was like way down the road, right? Um, But anyway, so I did my grad school, I started working, had my first daughter in 2013. I also graduated, like, I remember I was like, seven months pregnant when I graduated my master's at that time. Um, And I started working, things were good. We moved out here to Texas, but I just kept, I think like, it felt like something was missing. And I was like, I really have to go back to school. Um, Now at this point I had my second daughter and I think my younger one was not even one when I was like, okay, I want to I want to look into schools. I want to do this. And so I think right around when she was, I think in 2018 was when I was like, okay, I'm going to just look at something. Either I'm going to go back and get a PhD in my behavior analysis degree, or I want to look into this vet school option. But as you guys can understand, you know, it's not easy with like a family and everything to just be like, and I, and I see a lot of people, you know, like on the APVMA group on Facebook as well. I hear stories of, you know, like men and women who are like, you know, we have a family, but we want to chase the stream, you know? So I, I think it was such a difficult decision at that time to be like, okay, I'm going to look into this. You can't really go into it. I think going like full steam. The thing that worked for me was I said, Hey, you know what? I'm just going to enroll in one biology class right now. Cause I was like, at this point, my prereqs are like almost 10 years old. So if I was going to apply, I'm like, I had to redo everything. Yeah. So I had to redo them. Uh, So I was like, okay, you know what, which was, I think it was good for me because who I was right at like 19, I wasn't that at like 27 anymore, you know, like it's, It's a different person, different experiences. So I enrolled in bio one and I remember telling my husband and he was like, why, why are you doing this? And I was like, (laughs) you know, I just, I was like, I'm just going to see how it feels. And then, you know, I was in it like, I think like for two weeks I was in it and I was loving it so much that I was like, that's it. I'm going to vet school. And he was like, "Eh." he's like, hold up. You went from like enrolling in one class and now you're going to go. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was, why are you making so your life harder when you don't need to? Why are you doing this? <laughs> oh my gosh. But he is, I, I definitely like, he is 
the most amazing father and he is so supportive. Um, I mean, it, it was hard. It was hard for him initially to come around the idea because at this point, when I made this decision, I was working as a clinical director in a pediatric therapy clinic. So obviously I was making over a six figure salary, you know, so it wasn't just that going to school was going to take away my time. It was also going to take away a full salary of a second person in the household. Right. So there's lots of like financial things to take into consideration at that point. And, you know, you have two kids, like you have lives that are at stake here. So, um, and then as I, you know, started learning more about vet school, like, you know, and I started telling him it obviously like became scarier and scarier. Like, what if you don't get in? What if you don't, you know, like what's going to yeah. happen? How long are we going to run after this? Um, so, yeah, so that was, you know, I think that was a very difficult part of like taking it one step at a time uh, because I am very much a planner and I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. And I just like jump head on. Into Everyone it. in vet school's type A. Every single exactly. one of us, we're all type A. <laughs> yep. I, and so many people can relate. Like, you know, it's kind of like, well, it's, this is it. Like there is no dilly dallying. Like I'm going into it. And, uh, but I think that was when I really had to take it slow and take it one step at a time because mm. the anxiety was so bad in that time. Like I remember those two years that I was doing their prereqs, it was like nonstop, like what's going to happen. And every time you get a bad grade, because, you know, it's not right. easy being a parent. So it, you know, it, and I'm not going to, and I think part of me agreeing to, you know, wanting to come on here and speak was because I see so many people who are looking into vet school, just getting so worried about like, my grades are not good. Like how, right. I, you know, right. And I, I really want to tell people that there is a story to be told, you know, mm-hmm. you are unique and grades are not going to tell all on that. Now, was I like, you know, oh, such a success story that I got into everywhere that I applied? Absolutely not. Um, I applied to 10 schools and I got accepted to three. And so like it, you know, it's, of course, there are schools out there that are very heavily academic based and they will look at your GPA. And I know they have that certain set of standards, um, but there are schools out there that truly are following that holistic process right. and Michigan state definitely, you know, like, and, and that's, you know, I guess I can talk a more about that in a minute, but they are definitely very focused on looking at the person as a whole, you know, what they bring to the table. Um, so, yeah, so then I, um, well, I finished my prerequisites and then I applied and, you know, I got into my first cycle, which was like, Amazing. you know, just, <laughs> yeah, it yeah. was. I mean, the first school I heard from, because I did apply to Ross, the island school. Um, and so that was the first school I heard from, and which was like pretty early in the cycle when I like, I heard back from them very quickly and I got my interview and I got accepted. So it was nice to have that, but we were all so committed that at that point, my family and I, we were going to pick up and we were going to move to Ross. Like we wow, were going to wow. go to an island and, you know, and, and Ross actually has a very nice, um, I think, or I, mean, I haven't been there, but from what I was told, like they do have a school um, for like kids for like, you know, like if you have kids like students or faculty, your kids go to That's a school wonderful. which has like an American system and stuff. So um, I got connected and, you know, that was one of the things that I, I'm very open with like reaching out to people and connecting to people. And so I had already like, when I first started looking to Ross, like I'd already connected with a bunch of moms who were going to school there and like, 
knew everything, the ins and outs, (laughs) you know, (laughs) so that was kind of nice to know, but obviously our preference was if I can get into like a school within the U S like that would be the ideal situation. Um, I actually ended up not applying to my in-state school and I'll be honest, like part of it was like, I was like, Oh, like my GPA, like I'll be open about it. You know, my GPA, like I had like, and it was weird because Vemcast was like so confused about like which classes to count, which not because I have like all these like schools and classes like from all over. Right. So it ended up calculating, I think like my overall GPA to like a 3.4 or something. And I think like my science GPA was like a three, one or three, two, which I think part of it, they were calculating some of my like older grades as well, when I did not do well in those classes early on. And so like, it was just, I was like, I looked at my GPA and I was like, I don't even like, I wouldn't even know how to contact them and ask how they calculated this because there was just so much. Right. Like, and I was like, I, at that point I was like, I'm just gonna have faith here and go yeah. We're just going to send it. We're going to full send and see <laughs> yes. how this goes. Yes. And so when I looked at the Texas A&M stuff and I was like, I know that I don't have like, you know, and I know it's kind of like, you know, I'm not telling anyone to be like, don't apply there if you have a bad GPA. No, no, no. no. I think it was more for me. Like I was so exhausted by that time. Like I submitted my Vemcast like last week when it was due. <laughs> Right. I was like, and I was trying to do the uh the Texas app with that, and I was like, I just can't do it anymore. <laughs> like I'm gonna too much. It. No, yeah. it, it's too much. Kaylin and I like we didn't have like you know the same number of hours that other people have, like the thousands mm-hmm. of experience hours people are applying right. with. Like I had six hundred. Um, I but- don't even think I had, I don't even think I had that. Yeah, so. I had more theater hours. But I, I was in I was in theater school prior. She could act to be a veterinarian. Like right, exactly. I mean, it's so crazy. I mean, it's it's so interesting listening because you haven't heard our podcast yet because we haven't published our first episode yet. But you are repeating so many of the things just naturally that we've talked about, which is just that you know being diverse in many ways is a huge, huge, huge win for the industry. And vet schools know that. And when you come to something with different experiences, when you're coming at it from a different place in life, I mean, there's a reason that vet schools like accepting people who come from different places because you have different skills that you're bringing to the profession, which kind of leads us into um, one of the things that we wanted to ask you about, which is how you felt your skills from your prior life working in pediatrics and behavior and things like that, how that really translated into veterinary medicine? Um, Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question because I actually, I have a lot of these conversations with people, like even my classmates and stuff or anyone who's trying to apply to vet school or needs advice. I think the big thing, like we still have a large number of people Um, who are coming into the vet school industry and wanting to be like, okay, well, I love animals and I don't like people. I think people are growing out of that mindset. I think a lot of the candidates and applicants are understanding that, you know, like with, I think with this push in social media too, there's a larger understanding of what actually veterinary medicine is. And a big part, obviously, like you cannot walk into this saying that I don't want to work with people. That just, it just doesn't work that way. Right. Um, It is such a heavily people focused industry. And I'm not only talking about you know small animal medicine like I'm talking about large animal medicine as well right and everything or like food animal like 
you are going to be working with people at all times. You know, a lot of our professors, because I'm a very heavily small animal medicine person, like large animal is not my forte. Um, but, you know, I'm in Michigan. So Michigan State does have a focus in that a lot. And so we do get a lot, a big chunk of that education as well. And, um, you know, even they tell us like, you like if you're going out and working on farms if you're working out with like even if you work with usda whoever you work with there are people that you're going to have to go in and train and they're going to be doing a lot of those procedures rather than you yourself so you should know how to build that rapport with people so for me from a small animal medicine perspective um i tell people i, I say this all the time like i feel like so many people have heard me say this it's so repetitive but i say you know you try having a conversation with a dog owner and try telling them what to do and what not to do. But I'm like, you know, try having a conversation with a parent who has a child with special needs. And, you know, they've been dealing with that for years. You know, their life is not, you know, people in the community of people with different abilities, like, you know, their families, they go through a lot, you know, everyday things that we take for granted. These families have to think twice about doing those activities, you know? So as a behavior analyst, you know, my role a lot of times is working with the parents, like trying to teach them these different skills of what they need to do in order to make their child or their loved one successful, right? So obviously those conversations are not the easiest or not the best ones. Like there's a lot of heated conversations in there too. And you have to learn to regulate yourself in a way that, you know, um, having those conversations, like without being judgmental, without, you know, showing any kind of anger or resentment. And so it gets hard. So when you try to talk to a parent or the child, you know, and tell them what to do, it is a whole nother ball game. So I think my experience of that like translates so well, especially in my interest of that small animal medicine and that clinical side. Right. And I kind of, you know, I think that's where I gravitate to. So I, I'm choosing like what my path, like my interest is doing small animal medicine, general practice. And I like uh, small exotics. So like pocket pets as well. Um, and like avian, um, avian medicine. So those are some things that I'm interested in, but that's exactly where I want to be because I like building those relationships with people. Um, I haven't really tried my hand at emergency medicine quite yet. Um, hopefully in my externship years, I will get a chance to do that. Um, but for the most part, I like building those relationships with people. I do like working on that long-term basis with people. Uh, so yeah, so my experience from that, I think that played a big role in just my application process and how I talked about people. Like my thought process, you know, and, and you know, and of course, like I know vet med, like there's a lot of challenges in the industry right now. And there's a lot of focus, like every day we see new posts coming out about like how clients are, you know, not behaving properly with the clinics. And, and then I completely, those are valid, valid issues and challenges that veterinarians and veterinary professionals, they're having to deal with that. But I think there is another side to this industry as well. And there is some accountability from us as veterinary professionals to see what do our communication skills look like? Right. How much time are we taking to build rapport with people? How are we communicating or educating our clients what is needed? Of course, you can't change everyone. There's always going to be people out there who like are lost causes. And, sure. you know, it's, it's just, you know, and everybody comes from their own I like to say they have their own learning history, right? They have their own background, like being a person of behavior, I get that. So, um, but yeah, that was, uh, I think that's a big part in why I'm here. And, and I, I'm glad that I'm gonna be able to use that. 
I mean, it's so clear just listening to you, how excellent of a communicator you are. I mean, you are just like right on the ball all the time. It's very, very cool. And I think it's so important that, you know, just kind of like, it's, it's almost like this discussion goes in parallel, but I think most people don't realize that this is connected. Um, when we talk about, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion within vet med, like that's a pretty hot topic, right? Within the industry and people are trying right. to gain more awareness in that. I think DEI also applies to how we are dealing or communicating with our clients as well, because it comes right alongside of like, like you said, Caitlin, like it's changing. Like the, the pet owners that we're seeing, the industry that we're seeing, we no longer can cater to the attitude that if you can't afford a pet, you shouldn't have a pet, right? Like mm -hmm. it's a very privileged statement to say that to someone. Now, of course, like, is there a certain amount of financial commitment and responsibility of pet ownership? Absolutely. But we have to meet people where they're at because if you treat pet ownership as like, or pet companionship as a privilege that only mm -hmm. a certain class of people can have, then, you know, your communication style is going to be catered towards that, you know? And like you said, Caitlin, your biases are going to be catered towards that. And so mm -hmm. we have to inherently recognize not only the biases that we have towards our coworkers or whether it's about race, whether it's about religion, whether it's about sexuality, it's not only biases about that. There's a lot of biases about, you know, just the, interaction we have day in and day out with people. So if I continuously have an interaction with clients on a negative basis, right? Anyone that walks into the doctor's office is now going, like it's going to trigger a reaction in me. And I think that's where my behavior training really comes into play because this is what I spent the last 10 years of my life prior to the studying, you know, we're human. We are going to make these frames in our mindsets. Um, there's a really cool thing called relational frame theory that kind of, you know, stems and gives uh, rise to a lot of different uh, types, like so, act, uh, you know, action and commitment, acceptance and commitment therapy, for example. And these things tell us that when we interact with people, we make these frames in our head and then we put people in these frames like, okay, client equals negative interaction, client equals someone mm. who does not oh. want to get educated, you know? And so we walk into a brand new room and that's what we're responding to. We're not responding to that person. We're responding to the biases that we have. Wow. Right? Yeah. That's so fascinating. So it's, and, and just because, and I think this is the conversation that we have a DEI. I'm very active in my school and doing like DEI work as well. And like I'm my class, class of 2024, like represented in our um, diversity, equity, and inclusion committee that we have at the school. So, you know, I do a lot of work uh, with different people in the college about these topics as well. And the thing that I tell people over and over, you know, whether it's about race, whether it's about sexuality, whatever it is, you're going to have biases. You're going to have assumptions. I have biases. You have biases. Everyone has biases, right? It's more about, okay, when I acknowledge it, first of all, accepting it, and then now I need to change my behavior in that. So when yeah. coming back to the client, you know, interactions, that's a big thing because a lot of us, you know, working in the industry for, you work in the industry for one month, you work as a vet assistant for one month, I guarantee you, you've already come across at least 10 different, very negative interactions and you become traumatized by how people yeah. talk to you and it's not easy. So like your work doesn't stop there, right? Like we have a responsibility to continue to grow ourselves as well from that dimension. So kind of understanding like, this may be my 10th client today that I'm seeing, but I'm also the first veterinarian that they're seeing today. Right. So, yeah. 
kind of that is such a beautiful statement yeah (laughs) oh my gosh I want that on a t-shirt like oh my god it's so gorgeous no absolutely I totally agree like there needs to be work done on both sides we can't just keep blaming the client for Mm -hmm. what they're giving to us it's also like how do we you know change and become more self-aware and um, maybe we're not hearing them properly. We're not giving them what they're asking for. So that's, that's definitely a really interesting statement. And I mean, I guess an, another question I have for you, if you, um, have ever thought about this, like how can vet schools integrate that type of training? Um, I think one of the big things is, uh, and which I think a lot of schools have started this already. Um, you know, part of the core curriculum, having like that, um, the communication model classes, you know, I know we've had those and it's, it's one of those double-edged sword things because, you know, when you ladies will start vet school in the fall and you realize very quickly, you just don't have enough time, <laughs> no matter what. And so sometimes as a student, it's the most frustrating thing when you have to do an assignment about communication, when you're trying to do everything else that you right. need to do. Um, but I, it's as, as difficult and challenging it is for students to take that on. It is definitely something they need to add within their core curriculums, which I think a lot of schools have adopted. I also think that, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion trainings, these are very important because this is just not, like I said, not, this is not just an issue of race or anything like that. It's, it's an issue of like understanding each other as people, Mm -hmm. uh, people that we work with and, I think if the schools shift a little bit of focus internally, you know, on how can they make that better, I think they will attract better candidates. They will attract people who are more open to learning this. Like, I I don't, by any means, I'm not saying that, oh, like, if you have never heard anything about DEI, like, you know, you shouldn't go to a vet school. No, no, no. I think it's more about the openness to like listening to the other side and learning. So I think adding those things in core curriculum is very important. And I know at Michigan State, they are very actively working on that. Now we just kind of want to transition into uh, any advice you may have uh, as, you know, with application season coming up right now, um, just regarding, I guess, personal statements, or even as you think about like, how to integrate your past uh, career and what you've learned and how do you show show an admissions committee that you you're that you're basically ready for vet school absolutely so i think i touched on it a little bit earlier that you know when i was writing my essays i think i was not afraid to show okay like this is my background this is who i've been and even if it's not veterinary medicine related so i think a lot of my advice would be catered towards people, you know, like the non-traditional students. And cause it's hard for me to put myself in like, you know, like those shoes of like, I, like I said, you know, when you come out of high school, when you come out of undergrad, like you're in a different place than what other experiences you've accumulated. So if you are a non-traditional student, don't be afraid. Cause I see this question pop up all the time, you know, where people are like, how is this going to like, you know, like, how are the schools going to look at me if I've like been out of school for like five years and now I'm going back and now I'm still struggling with my grades. I think don't be afraid to show that you're struggling with grades is almost like a positive thing to yourself because as long as you're struggling, as long as you're working towards something, you're doing something that's better than, you know, the next option, which is that you're not working towards it, right? So 
you have to showcase that. And I, I kid you not, like when I went back to do my prerequisite classes, I know so many, like, um, I feel like, you know, like the parents that I know who are in vet school, you know, and they have a somewhat similar story to me. Like, they'd be like, yeah, like when I went back to school, like I did so well and my grades were so good. And I'm like, my grades were still not that great. <laughs> like I was still struggling and it's okay to show that struggle, but you have to be able to present like what your strengths are, right? And like, for me, like, I think my diverse background and coming, like, you know, having like the career that I had, like, it wasn't veterinary medicine, but it had something to show for how I work with people, right? Like, or how I lead, how I work in a team, how I um, interact with clients, like all of those things are really important. So I was, you know, showcasing that. And then I know struggles and challenges are going to come up. Like some people have like mental health challenges, you know, speak about those without shame. I think that is a big part of it, right? Like even like, you know, if you struggled because, you know, whether it's financially, whether your family wasn't supportive, like it's okay to be open about that. Now, of course, like you don't want to sit there and in your application essay, like complain about, you know, like, oh, like my There's parents weren't supportive, you know, like <laughs> right. you can't go on and on, but do be honest, like be honest, do yeah. tell them like, these were the struggles. This is how I'm overcoming it. Right. And it's cliche because sometimes you won't have like a big Montauk story to tell. Right. Like, right. but I think it's okay. Like, I think that's the part that most people, most people think that, oh, if they show weakness to vet schools, like they're automatically going to be like kicked out, but it's like, that's not weakness. You working towards is actually your strength. And right. that's what you need to show. Um, you know, like the other thing is like, you know, with the grades part of it, it's not, it does not define you. You have to go in with the attitude that you're worth more than what your grades are. Mm. Like you have more to offer than that. Um, the other thing, you know, and this is a discussion that I've actually had with my current classmates as well. And this kind of, again, it goes hand in hand with that DEI discussion because I've had people tell me, you know, like, and they'd be like, well, basically, if you're not a person of color, if you're, you know, like, if you're just like, just any other, like, you know, as in like, oh, the majority of the student applicants that you're going to like, look like that. So you don't really have a shot. And I, and I tell people it's, they're not looking for, oh, because whether you're, you know, like, whether you're brown, whether you're black, or whether you're Hispanic, like, this is not what they're looking for. It's about, your maturity and understanding of what you think about diversity, what you think mm -hmm. about the differences that we hold and Absolutely. similarities that we hold. So you don't have to come from a background that like, oh, I've traveled the world or I know all these cultures to be a strong candidate, especially because I know a lot of schools have put out questions about diversity. Yeah. I know, for example, Michigan State, one of the core values is that, right? Like respecting diversity and being able to understand. So I, I know that at least in my cycle, they had questions, for example, about, oh, like how do you align with our core values, right? right. And so they're not looking for you to tell them a story of what culture you belong to. Like they're looking to see like, okay, what are your experiences with differences? Do you not have any experiences at all? Talk about that. Talk about how you've grown up sheltered and that you recognize that and that mm -hmm. you're willing to embrace and understand and have open dialogue with other people. Like they would love that. So I think there's just this misunderstanding going on around right now, like where it's like, oh, like 
basically if you don't have like anything different to offer you're kind of like just done for and you're not gonna get like it's like you know no like everyone can be different and everyone has to show like okay what is your level of maturity with that absolutely everyone is different I know Shori you had to write a divert I, I wrote diversity statements I know Shori wrote diversity statements yeah yeah, no, for sure. I remember um, for one of my diversity statements, actually, I talked about a project that I worked at the Walt Disney Company to um, kind of educate my team and leadership about the growing Black population, Black Americans that were coming to Disneyland. And there were still racist like references in our attractions that we needed to update. Um, so I like did so much consumer analytics and just like understanding um, and actually talking to these guests to see like what part of this makes you uncomfortable and like how can we update this and um, make this brand feel more inclusive for everyone. So super random of, of a story to include for a veterinary um, application essay, but I that's what I had from my experience and that's what I talked about. So and just as you said, it was right. It's about it's about acknowledging where you're at and acknowledging wherever that is. Because yeah. for everyone, it's different. Some people are going to have really specific stories. Some people are not. But it's really, it's about gauging, are you emotionally intelligent? Right. Are you empathetic? Are you open to other people, other experiences, other points of view? Burnout in this field is, you know, the, the thing is when they say like, oh, like, do you really understand the field? Because burnout in the fields for the most part, and again, I'm not speaking this from like a research paper perspective, like I'm, I'm saying like as what I've seen and gathered from different people, just solely based on my personal experience, I think a lot of the burnout is coming from, you know, those client interactions, especially in small animal medicine, right? Like those client interactions, those long hours, those like, it almost feels like people are being thankless towards you, you know, like mm -hmm. burnout is not coming from the science and the medicine, right? Burnout is coming, like nobody's burned out because like, oh my God, like I had to learn three more procedures and I hate this, <laughs> right? It's not, right. It's, it's coming from like, I am sick and tired of people accusing me of like wanting more money and like not wanting mm -hmm. the best for their pet, right? Like that's where the mental health burnout, that's where the turnover is happening in the field. So that's what you need to show to the school that you understand that side. Cause once you're out of vet school and obviously I'm not out of vet school yet. So like, obviously somebody, somebody hearing would be like, well, you're not there yet. You don't know. Um, but you know, just, I think my previous career was very much parallel in that, that there was, there's a lot of burnout in that field and that career as well. And, you know, after a couple of years, you get pretty good at your job and what you're doing. The burnout comes from that people questioning your ability to do the right, job. Absolutely. And that gets exhausting, right? So when you're trying to show to the, you know, to the schools that you understand burnout, you need to show that you understand people. You need to show that, like you said, Caitlin, like you said, Shoria, you know, like, and I think Shoria, your example, you said like, it's not relevant to vet med and what you wrote about, but mm -hmm. it's very relevant to how open you are in understanding other people's perspective, right? Mm -hmm. So that shows that, okay, like, your behavior is most likely going to be like, you're not a reactive person. You're more like, you're trying to gather data. You're trying to understand what is actually going on here than responding to the situations emotionally, right? So like, right. that's a big part of it. And so that's where you can show like, okay, I understand the negative side of this field and this is how I plan to work on it. You know, these are my habits of like how I preserve myself. What are my coping skills? 
you may not have any habits right now. And you can be open about that too. That, mm. you know what? I don't have those. I do react this way and I'm working on this. I'm a work in progress. And I think that's, that's important to share. Own what do you story. think? What do you think we can do from these? We're, we're going to be new vet students and you having gone through vet school up until this point, what can we do better to help each other not burn out as we go through vet school? Uh, there is, that's a, that's a you know great question because I think the world that you know right now, as soon as you start vet school is going to be a different world. And what's going to happen is like, you're going to be so consumed by like, it becomes your life. It becomes your existence. Like you feel like if I am not doing this every waking moment, I'm being a traitor to who I am, you know, or like, it's like, oh, gosh. <laughs> and you get stuck in this cycle. Of, like, you feel like you can't get out of it. Like, you feel like you can't stop paying attention. You can't stop studying. And so I think for me, the privilege that I have is because I have kids and I have, you know, like my family, my life, my home, it's very easy for me to see that around me and just step out of that and be mm. like, you know what? No, no, no. Like if my child, you know, God forbid, if my child got sick right now, I don't care what my grades are. Like I care that my child is healthy and that well being. Mm. And I know it sounds very big picture type of thinking, but you have to get in that practice of like, finding those things around you and you have to be able to step away. You know, this is how it was when I went to my previous grad school. This is how it is right now. Like my classmates stress over the, oh my God, like three, five and 4.0s. Like it's, it's, it's not important. It's not important. Even if you want to specialize and because a lot of times the argument you'll hear in med school, well, C's get, you know, like C's are also making veterinarians. That's fine. But then people are like, well, but if you want to specialize, you can't get bad grades. You know, yes, to an extent, it's true. They will look at your GPA. However, like a lot of times internships and residencies, those are not only scored through your GPA. Like they're also scored through how you build connections, how well you demonstrate yourself in different settings, like who you go and work with and do externships and stuff like that. So like, just because you have bad grades, your doors are not closed to specializations either. Um, and so like, as vet students going in, you got to have that perspective of like, this is temporary. This is temporary. Like this is not, grades are not your life. This is not, because when you come out and you're working and this is what I hear from a lot of vets. And, you know, sometimes I can have those candid conversations with some of the vets because they're like my age, right? I'm in my thirties. So they're, they're like, yeah, like I did this, you know, like since I graduated seven years ago, whatever. And so that's what they tell me too. Like, they're like, once you come out of school, it's like, it's not about the grades anymore. It's not about how much you know anymore. It's about like, okay, the self-confidence, having the ability to learn new things, have, being open to like accepting your mistakes, you know, things like that. So like it's changes. So keeping that in mind is very important. Having, I'm not going to say like, oh, have time and have healthy coping habits. We're all going to fall in that pit. That's going to happen. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <You know>? oh, yeah. <laughs> I've had so many breakdowns at this point. Oh gosh. <laughs> my poor husband. I like I've had I've literally sat down and just been like, I don't know why I'm doing this. Like I just need to stop and but normalize you know, it, right? You're normalizing it. Yes. That's so important. <laughs> that we're, yes. we're all in it together. Like we're doing Absolutely. it. Absolutely. We're all gonna get there. We're all gonna shout out to our moments. loving husbands yeah. and boyfriends. Yes, <laughs> yes. <And> girlfriends. 
listen to us cry. It's hard. It's hard on our significant others. It's it hard is. on our family as well. Um, it's funny because my husband, whenever like some of the other classmates who have partners, you know, like they'll get together and like there'll just be like, they just have this own click and they're just like, oh. uh-huh, I remember that time when they had that exam. <laughs> it was so stressful. Like, it's crazy, so but cute. it's a joint effort. And, uh, and even if you don't have a significant other, right? Like whether it's friends, whether it's family, whoever mm-hmm. it is, like, it's okay to reach out. It's okay to take support. It's okay. You know, like it is hard if it was easy, right? Like this, we wouldn't even be having this discussion if it was easy, right? right? It is a difficult thing. <laughs> Uh, recognize that and then like but yeah trying to keep the bigger picture in mind is very important Um, and just the one other thing that I say like you know there's a lot of competition you cannot compare yourself to Mm. other people Uh, one of my like friends mentor you know she just graduated from vet school and you know I started talking to her when I was applying to Michigan State and she was a second year student and she she's my person that I reach out to when I'm on my lowest low um and she all of a sudden, she's like, you cannot compare yourself to other people, right? Like the responsibilities you have, it is not comparable to someone who literally lives by themselves and, you know, has no other. So, and, and again, it just doesn't mean that I'm only speaking to people who have kids or other responsibilities. Like I'm, everyone, everyone's in everyone, a different position. Everyone's totally. different position. Like totally. and big rule that I have, like, I don't discuss my grades. I just don't. Mm. And I don't want to hear it. I know people will like tell you like, you will hear the discussions out there and it's, it's hard, it's hard and everyone's different. So whatever you need to do to kind of, you know, keep the big picture in mind and not compare yourself and your grades to other people, that's going to keep your sanity. That is excellent advice. Yes. (laughs) And we're probably going to have to keep repeating that to each other. Yeah, I know. I'm, Ashori and I are going to have to send each other this episode. I know. It's going to be like, remember, remember. <laughs> it, is, it is really hard being type A and like not constantly comparing yourself to, to the best, right? And to the top. You're always looking up. You're never really looking down. Um, so it, it's definitely hard. And um, I try to keep in mind, you know, you're only supposed to compare yourself to who you were yesterday. And it's hard to actually Easier do that every day. So hard. It's <laughs> so hard. I, I mean, I'm starting my externship next week. And like, I just keep telling my husband, I'm like, I know nothing. Like, I know nothing. <laughs> it's it's okay to know nothing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful place but to be. But that's honestly, I said, that's, that's, that's the best mentality to have. Because if you go into it, like, I know all the things with anything, yeah. you're, yeah. you're going to end up right. kind of getting kicked in the butt a little bit. I think yeah. regardless in every profession and every bit of life right. and that it's yeah. okay all, to not know. I, I've, I've seen like, I think all the teachers, professors, like they appreciate the people who are, you know, yes, they want them to be able to give answers, but like guess something, even if it's wrong, just guess or try or make an effort, you know, like uh, whatever you need to do. But as long as like, you're open to like, okay, I didn't know this. Now I need to know this, you know? And, and of course you'll run into professors and teachers who, you know, who have this attitude. I look at some people and I'm like, you were here in this situation a couple of years right. ago. Like, why, why are you not being nice? You know? So, um, so you'll come across those people, but just remember you've got your own walk in life and you know, like you may not know it now, but you'll get there. So I'm glad I'm doing this episode because I really need this pep talk for my <laughs> Oh, it's so beautiful. I mean, you have such, such good advice. I think how you've kind of decided, and this is not necessarily for everyone, 
but for you, you know, not talking about grades, like that is your way to control how you're comparing yourself to other people. Cause you're like, I'm going to keep this information. I'm not going to enter myself into this kind of tit for tat game where we're all going to be like, well, I got an A minus, you know, we're not going to go into that. And I think finding that for yourself is such a critical coping mechanism for us type A people. (laughs) So Shori and I were just talking today, right before we got on the Zoom call, we were like, oh my gosh, we're getting these new curriculums and it's so scary. And there's so much information and yeah, it's hard. It's, it's going to be really hard, terrified. (laughs) but starting off, you know, being able to talk to people like you, Uzma is so amazing because we get to learn from you and, and try to put a lot of these healthy practices into our daily lives from day one. We're, we're all in it together. And I think that it's something that whatever, you know, someone else needs to tell you that can be useful. Like, you know, like those golden nuggets, whatever you need to take from someone else and like take it and implement it. Like I am very open in sharing my journey and what works for me and what doesn't work for me. Like I'm always very open in that because that personally for me, like there's been mentors in my life. There's been people in my life. Like I've really learned from them. And there's like these tidbits that I hear and they just like stick with me. They just stay with me, you know? And that's why like, I just hope that this helps someone else. <laughs> you oh, know? It already has. I am still <laughs> reeling over. It will be the 10th patient you see, but you're the first vet that they will see. Oh, <laughs> I am going to live with that. That is like uh, poetry, poetry. <laughs> Yeah, no, you have such a beautiful energy and spirit. And we are honestly really grateful that you reached out and you're willing to talk to us about your journey and share that with others. And we're- Will anyone hear this? We don't know. But But yes. (laughs) They might. And if they do, they're going to be just as inspired as Caitlin. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so, so, so much for your time. This has been absolutely phenomenal. No, thank you so much for having me. And like, feel free to stay in touch. If anyone else who wants to get in touch with me, that's, absolutely. that's absolutely fine as well. But uh, yeah. I wish you ladies the best of luck. Thank for your you first so year. much. Yeah. Enjoy this summer. I know everyone keeps saying that, but it's we're like buying anatomy sweet. books and reading it during, you know, in our free time right now. So that's what well, we're doing. You know, I, everyone to me kept saying like, don't, don't do anything. Don't do anything. And I was like, well, you know, for some people, Planning mm-hmm. and preparing is also a healthy process or right. being part not, of that process, yeah. right? So that's fine to do. I will not discourage you from doing that if that makes you feel more prepared, but they will teach you everything that you need to know. <laughs> now, whether you have time enough or not, that's just, yeah, speaking that's of just time, the universe. <laughs> how do you manage vet school? Like what your time management skills must be the most amazing um with kids honestly yeah, in our like show how, notes how do you do in it? our show notes it says caitlin is running out of eggs <laughs> because that's my constant like nerve-wracking i'm like oh my gosh how, like, when do you have kids but then i meet people like you and i'm like you have managed so much yeah i i have to give credit to my husband he is like you know and he works as well like he is the bread earner of the family right now you know and like right. he works from home um but he's just like, he's amazing. Like he takes care of the kids so much, but yes, like with that said, like I do have to like, you know, like if there's extracurricular activities and all of that, like I have to plan all of that. I have to do so like, yes, both of us, we have to work together to do it. And I kid you not. Yes. There are days where 
I'm like, I don't even know how the day started. I don't even know how the day ended because right. it's, it's a lot. And I do feel like, you know, like personally, I've, I've been neglected in all of this, like, you know, like having mm. time for myself to eat healthy, to do, you know, to work out or to do anything like that's been on the back burner completely, but you know, you got to give something to gain something. And, and it's like, it's one of those things that as a family, we're all going through this. Like, it's not easy for my kids either. Right. Like they know, like my poor babies, like they know oh. they'd be like mom's studying. We can't bother mom right now. Like, it's the worst. Yeah. So and then I start, like, I've legit had breakdowns because, like, my kids will, like, go to their dad for everything. And I, I've always, like, I'm the primary parent. Like, I take right. care of things so much. And so, like, now they just, a lot of times, they just go to their dad. And, like, that's hard. That's really hard. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah, like, I think it's one of those things I'm going to look back on it and I'm going to be like, how the heck did I get to <laughs> I don't know, but we're in it. We're but in you're it. also we're inspiring them by following your dream <laughs> yeah. and showing them that like nothing is impossible, right? So that was a, a beautiful thing. thing. That was a big thing. And I have two daughters. And for me, you know, right. being a feminist, I yes. it was, you know, very important. We're all feminists here. <laughs> right. And it's very important for me. And I and honestly, like that's what my husband believes as well. Like it's like for him to show that he is a partner who supports me in this process. Like that is a marriage that they should, or, you know, partnership that they should strive for. Right. And it's like never too late. It's never too late. You know, like, I mean, I'm, I'm 34, you know, I have classmates who are my age, but I always feel so much older because I'm married and have kids and stuff, you know, like, whereas like people like don't have those kinds of commitments yet, but like, it's just, you know, for them, they need to know, like, it's okay at any time. I don't care if you're a mom, I don't care who you are. Like, if you have the support, if you are a unit, if you work together, it's possible. It's doable, yeah. Um, so yeah, no, that's, that's important to us. Uh, okay, there, we're halfway through. We're you're halfway amazing. Through. Okay, that is all for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Caitlin. My name is Shoria. And this was... Vetted. Perfect. Perfect.